Welcome to the Taiwan Matters Podcast, in-depth discussions on the issues that matter in Taiwan. Here now is your host, Nicholas Gould. Hello. With me in the studio, talking about Taiwan's economic prospects coming out of the coronavirus, I have two guests. First, Professor of Economics from Taiwan National University, Liu Yiru. Professor Liu is a former Minister of Finance. Also, she was the head of the Council of Economic Planning and Development, and before that, she was a lawmaker. Today, in addition to teaching, Professor Liu writes a newspaper column. Our second guest is also a newspaper columnist, longtime Taiwan financial market analyst Peter Kurtz. Peter is known to his many loyal readers by his Chinese name, Gu Yuehan. If you heard the previous episode of Taiwan Matters podcast, you know how Taiwan has been getting an unprecedented amount of international praise for its handling of the coronavirus. It's been a source of national pride how the country responded early and effectively to the pandemic. The result is Taiwan has been spared the worst of the pandemic, both in terms of human costs and to the economy. But as the glow from the initial success begins to fade, there are signs Taiwan will not be able to avoid the dire economic reality facing the rest of the world. On International Workers' Day, May 1st, labor groups here raised the alarm of rapidly growing numbers of furloughed workers. The IMF and other agencies have been revising down their forecasts for Taiwan's GDP. The question is, can Taiwan weather the coming economic storm and maybe even come out stronger, or will the failure to address its pre-existing economic problems make the coming year that much more painful? We hear first from Professor Liu Yiru on her take on Taiwan's economic prospects. Yeah, I think that if you look at the situation currently, it seems that Taiwan is performing quite okay because uh, all activities basically are still uh, ongoing. But after the COVID-19 uh, situation passed, Taiwan has to still come back to the fundamental, which is what's the engine for the economic growth for Taiwan. And in the past, we know that uh, the export that that comprises most of the component, especially exports to China and to Hong Kong. And so we have to evaluate that when China's economy got hit so badly, that will, of course, that, that, that will affect Taiwan's situation. And other than that, of course, that the demand side, especially the service side, Taiwan got hit also. And that will show later on. Peter, uh, speaking about where Taiwan's markets are. There seemed to be some good news for Taiwan a few months before COVID-19 with the China-U.S. trade war, where Taiwan was seeing a lot of uh, repatriation of uh, production lines, companies reinvesting in Taiwan. That seemed to have boosted the economy a little bit. Do you see that as continuing? Well, yeah. Uh, Nick, you mentioned that Taiwan actually was somewhat, uh, had a positive background to, to all this. In fact, uh, the, the trade war, which really sort of began early 2018, and if you look back at the time, the view at, at that point was that Taiwan would probably be, be the 
most negatively impacted by this trade war because so much of Taiwan's GDP is invested in China for manufacturing export, uh, and most of those exports going to the United States. Uh, as it turned out, if you look at, at least at the stock markets as an indicator, Taiwan has been among the best performing uh, in the region. And this is because the fact is that these companies that require manufactured goods from Taiwanese manufacturers still rely on the Taiwanese to provide the goods, to maintain the supply chain, and to provide all the uh, quality control overlay, that uh, they continue to maintain their support for Taiwan companies as they reallocated uh, their productive assets elsewhere in the region, not just coming back to Taiwan, but elsewhere in Southeast Asia too. And there were other instances of companies that uh, had overbuilt in China, and the trade war actually was a good opportunity for them to reduce their capacity, lay off staff without taking on the, the political hit that would have otherwise uh, come, uh, and uh, focus their operations on a smaller quantity of higher value, higher margin goods. Bicycle makers is a very good example of that as well. So we actually came into this COVID-19 pandemic in a relatively good position, meaning that, of course, the first impact of that uh, pandemic was the supply shock, the shutdown of the Chinese economy. And the Taiwanese had already, again, diversified their way uh, away from uh, that dependency. So relatively better position. Going forward, we know that the Taiwan industry is mostly focused on electronics and in that sector within communication products and computing products in particular. And of course, we expect that uh, there's going to be ever more demand for such products going forward as we try to rely more on uh, e-commerce, remote uh, communications, remote business meetings, and so forth. So it looks like uh, from that standpoint, things could be relatively better for Taiwan. Do you agree, Professor Liu? I mean, do, uh, yeah. do you see this as being enough to buoy Taiwan? I wouldn't say enough, but if we are not that aggressive, okay, so more humble attitude, then we would say at least uh, we are lucky. So I do agree with you just said that uh, actually Taiwan is, is quite lucky already because we have got something that after the COVID-19, people will need this uh, high-tech stuff. And so that at least that's very comforting. And another thing that I do agree with Peter just said, it's that Taiwan is quite lucky in the sense that because this trade war between U.S. and China just happened right before. So it's exactly because of this happened. So, so many companies that they, they, they move from China back to Taiwan or to other places. And so in that sense that people or say companies, they avoid a lot of uh, this, uh, this situation. And uh, also, I think because uh, this year, this January, because of Taiwan's presidential election, so China, they forbid their people to visit Taiwan as an individual tourist. And that also helped because so that we don't have that many visitors from China in February, not like comparing with what before, because otherwise it's a, it's a Chinese New Year. We will imagine so many visitors coming from China. So all put together, I think that we should say uh, Taiwan is definitely lucky in this case. And enough or not, that, that's another matter because every country is suffering. And so relatively, Taiwan is already very lucky. The government uh, recently announced that it's going to inject about $60 billion NT dollars as a stimulus bill 
to help companies. How do you see that working out? Is it sufficient? Do you think that's going to help to keep things relatively stable? Yeah, I think two things. One is that uh, no matter how much, six hundred or whatever amount, first thing is that it has to be in the right place. So it depends on how government spends that money. I think that that matters a lot. Uh, otherwise, it could uh, could be totally just a waste. Okay, so that that's a prerequisite that put the money in the, into the right place. And what do you think is the right <laughs> place? Is it in companies or is it giving it to people? Any fiscal policy to be effective is that when you give the money out and the people will respend that money. And so recently, if uh, the government say something that give you coupon, so if you spend certain amount of money, then government give you the coupon, you can use the coupon. I think that that's not the right place because people wouldn't spend any money in the first place anyway. And so direct subsidy is definitely a better way. So the first step is that they should put the money into the right place. And the second part is that whenever government spends money, Taiwan or any other country, they have to also weigh how much they have. So because government, mostly most of the country in this world, they are always a running deficit. So even if you spend money now, you have to repay back later on. So if you can go through the problem now, but if you have a very big bigger problem in the future, that that's not good either. And so from that point of view, Taiwan is okay, doing okay too. Because relative to, say, the United States, of course, that they spend a lot of money now, but they already had the government debt relative to the GDP ratio already past 100%. So that's a lot. And relatively, Taiwan is about 40%. So Taiwan is not too bad. And of course, at the highest would be Japan. They are running like more than 200% of that government debt. So Taiwan, uh, in terms of that, does government have ability to spend money, actually, I think, yes. So if they can put the money into the right place, then I would say more aggressive fiscal policy is good at this moment. Where would you like to see the money going? For people, say, who are losing their jobs because of lower productivity? Right. So if we talk about individual, then that would be relatively uh, less wealthy people. And if you talk about the company, then that would be more of the SME, small and medium firms, relative to big companies. Do you think it's inevitable, Peter, that small and medium-sized companies are going to take a hit just as the rest of the world seems to be going into a recession? Well, yes. I mean, it's always going to be the, the smaller players who are going to be most vulnerable to any downturn. But I would say Taiwan in the aggregate is, again, well-positioned. If you look at corporate balance sheets of... U.S. companies, uh, European, Japanese, even Chinese companies, they have over the past decade during this period of you know, multiple QEs, low interest rates and high availability of liquidity have borrowed considerable amounts of money. And in the case of the U.S., uh, used a lot of that. I estimate maybe about 20% of that uh, for share buybacks. And so they've been deteriorating their balance sheet at a time now where uh, they actually need that uh, equity buffer to to and that cash buffer to to tie them through these tight times. Taiwanese companies are historically very conservative uh, and very risk averse, uh, and this is no uh, different now that they have very low uh, debt to equity ratios. Total debt to GDP ratio in Taiwan is something on the order of roughly twenty percent. In the U.S., it's closer to fifty percent. 
And if and as the economy in the coming year or two slows down or, or goes negative, companies will be forced to retrench, uh, cut operations, reduce staffing, uh, and pay back some of this debt. And this could be an opportunity for Taiwan companies to actually gain market share because they won't be in that same position. And we saw something similar take place uh, right after the global financial crisis in 2008, again, particularly in the high-tech industry. And Taiwanese companies are manufacturers, but they're also supply chain managers. And, and so they're really running the whole logistics. If they're able to continue to maintain that supply chain during times of tightness, again, in, in financial liquidity or in demand, uh, they'll be picking up more orders from uh, customers in the long run. And very often those relationships will be maintained going forward. One of the issues that Taiwan has had for a long time, speaking about trying to take advantage of opportunities overseas to increase market share, is the fact that Taiwan doesn't have its own brand names. So Taiwan has increased its international reputation, its profile has risen. It seems like a great opportunity if there were some Taiwan brands to be able to take advantage of that. Do you see that as, as, as maybe this is the moment where Taiwan can, can get its brands out, out in the world? Theoretically. <laughs> I don't really see that who is taking that advantage at this moment, though. And I think that it's true that Taiwan as a nation that gained a lot of international recognition right this moment. But for industries, for companies to really have their own brand name, they still have to have really their own good product, which is recognized and accepted by the world. And I think that still takes some time. Yeah, I might add to that. Um, I mean, it's a, it's a question I've been mulling over my mind for the last 30 years is why Taiwan is such a big manufacturer of so many key products and yet never has really successfully uh, developed its own international brand. But I ascribe it to a couple of reasons. One, I think you need to have a big home market to be able to have a, 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 a successful brand. Um, the exceptions maybe to that would be a company like Samsung. But in, in my mind, Samsung was able to emerge out of South Korea at the sacrifice of so many other companies that, that tried to go that same route. And, and Samsung really went for broke, and they almost did. And the others did go broke, uh, but they managed to break out of that mold. Taiwanese companies, as I said, don't take those huge bets. They're not willing to pump out the sort of advertising dollars that Samsung did and, and make the investment in, in R&D that Samsung did. So not having that home market, and, and this brings up the political issue of Taiwan's relations with China as well, because China could be that home market for Taiwan, but they've chosen not to take advantage of that. Um, then you are kind of relegated to the contract, you know, uh, backroom sort of manufacturer, but they've made a good business out of it. You're listening to Taiwan Matters Podcasts. We're talking about Taiwan's economy as we come out from under the coronavirus. I'm your host, Nicholas Gould. My guests are the former financial minister and now professor of economics at National Taiwan University, Liu Yiru. Joining her is market analyst and newspaper columnist Peter Kurtz, also known as Gu Yuehan. Let's rejoin our conversation. 
Another issue that comes up all the time is uh, Taiwan opening up more to foreign investment. It seems to there seems to be a, still a lot of internationalization that Taiwan could be doing. Do you see any changes happening on that front? Uh, not right now. Not not only that, I don't see more openness for the past four months. I see more close to home concept. For instance, I think it's it's reasonable, it's understandable to restrict foreigners to come to Taiwan during this time period. I think that's something that everybody can understand and accept. But I think starting from April April ninth, that Taiwan's government allows Taiwanese people to send masks to their relatives overseas. But the restriction is really severe because it's like the, the quota is 30 pieces every two months and also only to your, say, children. So it, I think it's not conceptually, it's not enough. And also uh, when you mentioned about Taiwan, even we, we focus on saying we should really boost our foreign direct investment. But until last year, we were like ranked the last three in the world for accepting FDI from overseas. And Taiwan should really focus and rethink what, what's, what's the reason why that officially we say we welcome foreigners to come to Taiwan. But how come they don't come? We all know that Taiwan is a very friendly place. Most of the foreigners, when they, whenever they visit Taiwan, they love people in Taiwan. But how come they don't come over to invest? This is something that I think, I hope that Taiwan government have more open attitude towards this. But do you see that uh, happening in this current government? Uh, it seems that there's still a very sort of a provincial uh, attitude. It's a very sensitive issue. So I'll let Peter <laughs> answer that. Again, uh, another interesting question that I've mulled over uh, over the years. And I've always been an advocate of, of more aggressively opening and liberalizing all markets, financial markets, goods markets, investment. And that will, of course, generate jobs, new technology, and link Taiwan's own success to that of, of other companies and countries around the world. It hasn't happened, though. I'll add one other interesting element. Uh, after the Asian financial crisis of 1997, you saw Taiwan and, again, Korea taking two very different approaches. First of all, Taiwan wasn't as negatively impacted back then, in part because of, as I mentioned, the very conservative balance sheets that they have here, and in part because of, at the time, the tech bubble in the U.S. was continuing to power on, and that helped pull Taiwan through. But as a result of that, and of course, Korea was particularly badly impacted, again, over-leveraged balance sheets. But they responded to that by radically opening up their economy, in part that was imposed on them by the IMF. The IMF is actually a critical link here because Taiwan is not a member of the IMF. So first of all, there was no external force to pry open Taiwan's markets. And secondly, it's because Taiwan doesn't have that backstop of an international financier coming in and, and helping to reliquify the economy in the event of a financial or currency crisis means that the Taiwan government, Taiwan regulations have to be particularly overprotective, uh, over-regulation really, to prevent these crises from happening to begin with. Whether it's for that reason or not, I don't know, but the Korean economy has been growing at a faster pace than Taiwan uh, since that time period. And so you can argue Maybe that's the right way to go, but it ain't going to happen here in Taiwan. 
Does that disappoint you, Professor Liu? I, I totally agree with him. And of course, that, that's a disappointment for mm. all of us. But it's just been for quite some time already. And uh, I will echo Peter by saying the comparing with Taiwan and Korea's development, you really see different pattern. And I think that reflects the mentality towards this openness. That That's really different. And I'll add uh, one comment about giving some numbers, like the year of 2003. That's the year that's, that's six years after the 1997 financial crisis. That was the year that Korea outperformed Taiwan uh, for the GDP. And ever since, they are now like, we are about like 80% of Korea's GDP by now. So that that's really something that you, you see it's happening as a trend. And as I just said in the, I mean, just now I said that Taiwan should really reconsider when, when we say that we want to uh, open the economy to foreigners. Are we really doing towards that direction? Saying is one thing, doing is another. And you're talking about per capita GDP when you say right, GDP. Right, per cap, right. Per capita, right. Peter, you were mentioning how Taiwan's economy is too small to really generate global brands. What about uh, Taiwan companies actually moving offshore? Uh, I think the cultural cultural and geographic gaps are just too far for Taiwan companies to be able to succeed in doing that. And again, they've tried and they have bought brands in the U.S. They haven't even, you know, gone greenfield. They, they bought existing brands. And in all instances that I know of, have failed to make those successful. Taiwanese are really good at just the manufacturing and not really good at uh, the marketing, advertising, and the channel management. Looking ahead at the next, say, six months, what are you going to be looking for, Professor Liu, to gauge how things are going? What, what are you hoping to see and what are you going to watch out for? Oh, one thing is that Ever since it happened, this COVID-19, we observed the situation that no matter where it is in this world, that whenever people have problem, actually it's a global problem. And so one thing that I will be hoping for is that even though uh, the situation kind of like cool down in Asia, especially in Taiwan, but we really hope that this world can go back to the piece before. And that that's one thing. And second thing is, of course, that for this supply chain, it got interrupted so badly. And we just hope that when things cool down, that people can step by step and uh, gradually uh, picking up back. And of course, at Taiwan, I hope that the companies in Taiwan, they can try to think more where or how they should uh, relocate and uh, do the globalization uh, like one step further and uh, try to avoid the something like this happening in the future and more diversified. And I think that that's very important for Taiwan. Peter, what kind of things are you going to be looking for to see if how the economy is going to fare in the next year? Well, look, I mean, again, we're manufacturers here. So you need to have buyers of the manufactured goods. There's no question that... The unemployment numbers in the U.S. are are staggering, and that's being reflected in Europe. Probably you're going to see, not to the same extent, but similar directional trends elsewhere in the world as well. And that's going to reduce overall demand. Uh, We don't know to what extent, and we don't know for how long. You know, one could look at the stock markets, which is supposedly a forecaster of, of future economic trends, 
and say, well, things don't look too bad here because, you know, markets have recovered. But this is a typical pattern in any market crash, in any recessionary environment where you have sharp pullbacks and a natural sort of rebound. Uh, In particular, we've seen lots of money being pumped into the system by the, the U.S. Fed, the U.S central government and central governments around the world and central banks around the world. But when everyone's locked up in their homes, they can't go out and spend that money. And so the money tends to flow into financial instruments as a sort of temporary holding pattern. Ironically, uh, once the economy does begin to start operating again uh, and people actually start going out and buy things or I'll give you another anecdote. Uh, I have a credit card in the U.S. bank where I have, you know, online news uh, services or I have some things in storage. I have monthly billing. It's been zero balance for the last three months. I'm just wondering if all these companies decided to give me a three-month holiday on my payments or if, you know, come uh, May or June, suddenly I get all the bills coming all at one time, more likely the latter. And suddenly all this money that's building up suddenly gets put to use or companies have to deal with holes in their balance sheet or payments that they have to make. Uh, And so that's going to create, I think, an inevitable uh, subsequent or secondary downturn in markets. And and that's where I think people will start turning more negative in their outlook as well. So that's really what I'm looking for in the short term right now. Quite frankly, a little more bad news than, than we're seeing right now. If you were going to give a grade to Taiwan government for its handling of the economy, what would the grade be? Well, you know, the handling of the economy right now is almost entirely dependent on their handling of the COVID pandemic. And on that front, you know, you'd have to give them an A rating. And I think they did do a very good job. Uh, I think, again, you you cannot uh, deny that the Taiwan government did a stellar job. And Professor Liu, do agree. <laughs> you 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 give the current government an A also. Yeah, I think yeah, I think so. Are are you as confident that they'll get an A uh, next semester? <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll wait and see. You're, yeah, you'll, well, I hope I I sure hope so though. Okay, you're keeping an open mind. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. I appreciate uh, both of you uh, taking the time to be on Taiwan Matters podcast. Thank you. It's a pleasure being here, Nick. Thank you. We've been talking with Professor Liu Yiru and newspaper columnist Peter Kurtz, also known as Gu Yuehan. An update on our last episode about Taiwan and the WHO. Since the show was posted, Taiwan sent a formal letter requesting to participate at the upcoming World Health Assembly. Taiwan is still waiting for a reply. You've been listening to Taiwan Matters with your host, Nicholas Gould. For transcripts of this show, more information on our guests, and the issues discussed, visit TaiwanMattersPodcast.com. In order not to miss upcoming Taiwan Matters podcasts, be sure to subscribe on your podcast app.